Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're continuing week two of All In. You ready to go all in for Jesus? In this season, I just feel it burning in my spirit, and I shared last week about just how, uh, how in going all in, we looked at how one of the ways that we go all in with God is that God provides what? He provides an opportunity. All in begins with an opportunity. This is the message of a gospel. Jesus came so that everyone would have an opportunity to know him. And as it relates to all in, when we say, God, I'm ready to go all in with you, he brings an opportunity. And we talked about how one of the opportunities was for the children of Israel to get out of a rut. And we all are victim to falling in these ruts. Their rut, much like ours, is that they were in the rut of where they were depending on an earthly king, on the things of this earth, rather than depending on God. And much like us, we can, we can kind of fall in the trap of just depending on the things that are safe to us, things that are comfortable to us, instead of leaning into the Lord's voice. And as we saw last week, that God is sovereign. He's in control of all things, even kings. Even kings that don't know him, that don't proclaim to follow him. And I think this kind of brings up a good tension for us because uh, we are often in context where those that have authority over us may not have the same motives that we do as, as Christ followers. And I, and I love what Peter talks about. Peter says this in 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It's a great reminder. He says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials that he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. That the way that we live our lives operate as a way to silence those that would have these false accusations. And then later on it says, fear God. And by fear, it's, it's, it's not that trembling fear, but it's that, it's that awe, it's that wonder, it's that reverence, knowing that we have this holy fear for God when we recognize who he is. So we fear God, but we also respect the king because we see through scripture that when men and women of faith that follow after the Lord, follow and trust him, God can stir the hearts of anybody. Because who's in charge? God. Who's in charge? God. 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 Okay. Amen. God's in charge. He's sovereign over all things. And because he's in complete control now, the children of Israel, they've, the, the heart of Cyrus has been stirred. Now they're back, and they're in the process of rebuilding. But if you've ever rebuilt anything, you know that rebuilding is tough. Have you ever had to rebuild anything in your life, whether it's your home? Any, any remodelers out there? Have you ever torn down a wall in your life and you know, had, had to dig into that? That's the process that my, my family went through when we came back to Seattle uh, in, back in 2014, we, we were blessed with this wonderful home that if it had been bought by a contractor, they would have just torn it down. They would have demolished it because if you talk to a lot of contractors, it's off, they'll say it's often easier just to tear something down and, and just build new from the foundation up because you never know what you're going to find behind a wall. But for me, I love rebuilding things. And I think about that as it relates to the Lord. The Lord has done this work of rebuilding in us, that he will take us in the, the ways that the enemy has, has tried to take the things. As, as we talked about, as we just sang, right, the things the enemy meant for evil, the Lord can take all those things, pull them together, and make them for good in our lives. But remodeling's tough, especially when you have to live in it. You know, a lot of times if you've watched any of those, those rebuilding shows on TV or YouTube, that they'll come in and the, the client, the homeowner, the cabin owner, they'll walk through with the remodeler and they'll go through, they'll talk about all the things. But then if you listen, what the contractor will often say and what the remodeler will say is they'll say, now all you have to do is hand over the keys and leave. 
because it's a lot easier to rebuild it when no one's there. It's very hard to find a contractor or a remodeler that's willing to remodel your home with you still in it. Why? Because we get in the way. We walk in through and we've got to live in the mess and living in the mess is difficult. Now for our home that we remodeled and we're still remodeling, we didn't have that option. We lived in the home. We had to deal with the mess. We had to deal with the leaky pipes, the crack windows, and the things that, you know, uh, the water wasn't on because Dad turned the water off and forgot to turn it on. Or, or there's, there's still a hole in the wall because Dad ran out of time or whatever uh, going through. It becomes very difficult. And this is much like the situation that the children of Israel in where they're rebuilding, but they're rebuilding in the middle of all the mess because it's still a process. It's an ongoing process. It's not just snap your fingers and everything happens, right? There's this process of going through. But I'm telling you, but for me, I love that process. I loved having that opportunity. Even though it was difficult, I sincerely, you can talk to my wife and my kids. Walking through that process, the Lord taught me so much about rebuilding. I became better at it by being willing to stick in it and to walk through. And it's a great illustration, I think, for us, the rebuilding work that God's doing in our life. But today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about how in that rebuilding process, there's often something called the surprise. And if you've ever owned an old home, you know old homes are full of surprises. They're full, and that's all the homeowners laughing right there. You don't know what you're going to find. And I think sometimes as followers of, of Christ, much like for the children of Israel, one of the biggest surprises that they faced was opposition. Have you ever been surprised by opposition? I was talking with, with some friends earlier, and they were talking about that so, sometimes we have this surprise as Christ followers. It's like, I'm living for Jesus, I'm following Jesus, I'm serving Jesus. Why is it hard? Why is it difficult? Why, why do things come against me, right? I'm, I'm praying for a victory as we sang, but oftentimes we'll find that every great work of God will face opposition. And oftentimes we're surprised by it, but oftentimes it's that whole aspect of opposition that is not to deter us, but can often be a sign, not always, but it can often be a sign that opposition means that we're going in the right way because we are going upstream, right, like a salmon. I'm looking forward to salmon season, Pastor Steve. It's, it's like a salmon going upstream where there's opposition, but we're going the right way. And because they're devoted people of God, as they look at rebuilding this, as they look at they're in a, in a context that is not for them, as they face opposition today, they lean into a key thing, and it all begins with worship. As we look at going all in with God, Going all in begins with worship. And so I'd like, as we head into this today, can we just pause a moment, again, just to pray, because I believe this is a, a very important word for us for today that the Lord would have for us, that we need to hear from the Lord as we look at how we face opposition in our culture, in our lives, in our families, wherever we are, that it begins with worship. So can we just take a moment just to acknowledge that, Lord, we acknowledge your presence here today. Holy Spirit, have your way. And I, I encourage you just to pray that over your own life and your family. Holy Spirit, have your way. Move across this place. Move across our hearts. That's why we're here today. We're here today to hear from you, not from me. But God, let your word flow through me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My God, my rock, my redeemer. Speak to us. Speak through me today. You're equipping us for such a time as this. We want to make the most of this opportunity. So Lord, speak now. Your servants, we are all listening. Let me give you praise for it in your name. Amen. Amen. So before we head into opposition, we need to recognize that rebuilding our lives begins with worship. Everything begins with worship. And when the exiles, when they return to Jerusalem, if you'll remember, if you've been reading along in the book of Ezra, you'll see that one of the first things that Ezra did is he built an altar. 
He built an altar that offers sacrifices and to worship God. We see this in Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, In early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. Then Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, joined his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, with his family in building the altar of God of Israel. Not very common names, are they? They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. And then verse 3, it says, Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Even though they were afraid... Because of the residents, they rebuilt the altar. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. Now, why was this so important? Why was their first act as they came back together to worship and to get things in place to worship? Well, it's so important because worship tells us who's in charge. If you want to look at who's in charge of anyone's life, it's not just what they say. We can say the right things. We're all Googleites here. We know how to Google stuff. We can say the right things. We can come up with the right answers. But we know who's in charge by who they worship. See, one of the worships that they were exiled, if you remember, one of the reasons why they were captured and they were brought into slavery was because their worship of God had been defiled. The Babylonian takeover with Nebuchadnezzar, it was due to the fact that they had turned their back on God. Now, see, they still acknowledged God, but they were no longer worshiping him. And I think that's true for so many today. We want to acknowledge God because he's all-powerful, he's almighty, he loves us, he gave his life for us. There's the benefits, there's the covering, there's the protection, there's the provision, there's healing. There's all these things that we, that we sing about, so why wouldn't we want to acknowledge God? But the challenge comes in to how we follow him. And the children of Israel, they no longer walked with him. They were actually two-timing God. They, they wanted all the goodness of God, but they wanted to two time with other gods, with other things in their life. And I think this is a great time to remind ourselves of what worship is. You know, I come from a background, 25 years worship arts pastor. So worship is something I've spent a lot of time investing in studying. And when we talk about worship, we're not just talking about the singing and the aspect. That's all fun. We come together and, you know, we crank the guitars and the drums and every instrument that we have and we worship the Lord, we lift our hands. That's a reflection of a heart that's already changed. Because when we talk about worship, what we're talking about is a complete surrender. And the word that's used over 172 times in the Old Testament is this word shakah, which means to literally to bow down. That's why a lot of times for the, the ancient kings and even kings in some parts of the world today, when you come into a king's presence, one of the first things that's demanded, that's required, is that you bow down. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of saying, I respect you. I'm not here to oppose you. I'm here to listen to you. It's a sign of reverence to where the opposite, if you don't bow down, it means that I'm not sure I'm on the same page with you. And as, we, as it relates to this, I think it's important, this act of worship, is that every one of us, whether we are followers of Christ or not, we have this drive in us to worship. This act of worship, this act of giving our lives to something else, this is a part of who we are. And that's why we need to be very careful because whatever we choose to worship, this is the most important decision about us. Whatever you choose to worship is the most important decision that you will ever make. And it's this choice, it, it shapes who we are, it shapes who we'll become because whatever we worship, that's what we become. We become the things that we worship. And this is true whether we're worshiping God or, or whether we choose something else to worship it, to worship or not. And I think the challenge comes in because we often don't realize the things that we worship. You know, as it relates to God, worshiping God is very intentional. 
It's, it's countercultural. So it means that we set things up. We're, we're gathering here together today. We read our Bible. We pray. It's a very intentional process of worshiping God. But we are often very unaware when we are worshiping anything else because it can be very, very subtle. And oftentimes, we're surprised to hear when we are ignoring things or people. I mean, has anyone ever told you you're ignoring me and you're surprised? You're like, ignoring you? How am I ignoring you? We're often not aware of the things that we ignore, right? Because as long as things are going okay, well, it seems like things are all right. There's nothing being stirred here. And I think as it relates to God that, you know, sometimes we're like, well, you know, everything's fine. You know, lightning hasn't come from the sky. I still have my job and I still have my health, all these things. So God must be affirming of everything that I'm doing in my life. But I think sometimes we mistake the approval of God for the grace of God. The Bible is very clear. Don't think that God is slow, as some count slow, but there's this grace that he pours into our life because the will of God is that none should suffer, that none should lose it with God. The will of the Lord is that we would all come. So we're in this period of grace right now in our lives. Yes, there's consequences, but there's also grace. How many of you have received grace? And you're like, God, thank you for the grace. I deserve much more than I got there. And I'm raising my hands, not... This is not just metaphorically. This is real. God has poured his grace in my life. See, that's why the Bible has these constant reminders. Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart. And in Hebrews 13, it talks about being guardians over your soul. Because whatever you worship, whatever you center your life on, whatever I worship, whatever I center my life on, controls me. Whether I know it or not. In seminary, one of my professors, Dr. Whaley, he had this... This, this, this way of saying it, and I love this. He said that your theology, that's what you think about God, equals or translates into your philosophy. That's, those are the things that you believe. And then those equal or they translate into your methodology, what you do. And this is true for everybody. What, your theology, whatever you think about God, whether you think he's real or not, that translates into your philosophy, what you believe. These are all the things that happen internally. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All these things come out. There's a connection between the spiritual and the physical. They come together. Whatever is happening inside, you can only hide it for so long. I think sometimes you think you're hiding it better than you really are. So what we think about God is so important. That's why Ezra, he's being very intentional here to get things started on the right foot, the right foundation. And he's being very intentional in saying this begins with worship. We need to have this good foundation in place because Ezra is essentially saying, you know what? And he didn't use these words, but essentially he's saying God is the only one who's ever gone all in for you. No one else has gone all in for you, all in except for God. So why wouldn't we go all in with him? That so many times we go all in with people and things that they're not all in for us. So why would we not go all in with the only one who's ever gone all in for us? And it begins with worship. It begins with that surrender. It begins with taking advantage of that opportunity to come in. And worship is so important both back in, in the days of Ezra as well as it is today because our worship of God is the thing that's going to be opposed. See, worship was and it is the focus of opposition, how we worship, that act of surrender and giving to the Lord. This is always where the enemy will attack us. He is out to control and to destroy us. There's only two voices in this world. There's the voice of God and there's the voice of Satan. And I think sometimes we're a little uneasy saying the word Satan. God, is, Dwayne, is that true? There's two spirits in this world, <laughs> right? And we even have these stories and analogies that talk about there's two wolves or there's two angels, Right? Or there's two baristas, whatever. There's just two things going on in our life that come through. 
And whoever, you're only listening to one of them. You're not as in charge as you think you are. I'm not as in charge as I think I am. And if you want to just have that test in your life, just hang around kids for a while and see who's in charge. This is where he will always attack us. He, he's always able to destroy anyone who goes all in with God. Because the enemy recognizes that when we completely and totally surrender to and we worship God, we are transformed. We are transformed in that moment. When we go all in with God and we worship in this way, we become his greatest threat. Because worship, it transforms us. Worship has the power to make us new. All these things we've been talking about, as we surrender, that daily practice, that's why all the things we talked about in the, in the, in the previous series about the importance of prayer, the importance of reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, the importance of fasting to deny our flesh, the importance of gathering together, all these things position us in, a, uh, in, a, in, in that position of worship, bowing before the Lord, and we are transformed, we are made new, we are energized, because we come together whether we feel like it or not, feelings will lead you away. We're not led by our feelings. We're led by the truth of God and say, God, transform me, help me. So I'm coming together today. And again, as I think about worship, I think about some of the dear saints like Ida Dilling before that I'll never forget when I was here years ago with Pastor Kevin and I would bring this new song and sometimes it'd be a little loud and I'd see Ida with her hands in the air and I'd go to her and say, Ida, thank you for worshiping. She'd say, well, you're singing about Jesus. Why wouldn't I? I don't care what's around it. You're talking Jesus. I'm going to lift my hands. We had two precious ladies back in Virginia, same way, two sisters, no matter what it was, no matter if I did a hymn, no matter if I did a new chorus, no matter if it was guitars cranking or the piano, their hands were in the air, and they had the same response. You're singing about Jesus, my Savior, my God, my Lord. Why would I not lift my hands and say, Lord, fill me and encourage those around me? Worship God, follow him. Because worship is always attacked. And the more that we go with the Lord, the more that we position ourselves and say, I'm going to worship him because worship is always attacked. And as it relates to the attack, what we see in the book of Ezra as well as today is that it often comes from two places. There's the external attacks, things from the outside, but then there's also internal attacks. And sometimes it's that internal attack that will often surprise us the most. So let's start with that internal attack. Ezra chapter 3. Look at what happened as they began to worship. It says in verse 11, it says, When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and they took their places to blow the trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, they clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. Here's what they sang. They said, He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple, they wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting joy. The joyful shouting and the weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard in the distance. Now, what's going on here? We have two responses to worship happening, don't we? We have the young response, those who had no memory, they, they didn't experience King Solomon's temple. As well as the worship of the old, where they had experienced that. And see, as it relates to the older generation, those that had experienced it, they were excited because they saw the first temple, and they knew what happened in, in, when King Solomon had finished the temple and dedicated it to God. We, and we see this recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 7. It says, when Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven, and it burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. 
The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and they worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, just like I read earlier, he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So now as they return and they rebuild it, this was their expectation. Their expectation was fire from heaven, the glorious presence. And when it didn't happen, they're saying, what happened? We said the same words. We built the temple. We're doing the same things. Why is this not happening? I'm sure they felt, uh, maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe, maybe God's abandoned us. Maybe he's forgotten us. I'm not feeling it like I did before. And so they began to weep. But the younger generation, those that had no memory of this, I'm sure they heard stories about it. They never experienced it. For them, the comparison was not to the previous form. The comparison was now that we used to not have a temple. We used to be in slavery. We used to only hear these stories. And now we can come together and we can worship. We can lift our hands. We can offer sacrifices. We can have our sins forgiven. They weren't comparing it to King Solomon's temple. They were comparing it to, I had no worship before. And now I can come together and I can give praise to the Lord. And here's the sad part. These two coming together. Different generations coming together. From the outside, those looking in, the worship was all lost on them. The Bible says that all they could hear was a noise. It said the joyful shouting and weeping, it mingled together in a loud noise. Not a loud noise of praise, just a noise that could be heard in the distance. This joyful worship along with this weeping of God. Where are you? How sad that their first time worshiping together was divided. And I think this is a lesson for us. This is a lesson for all of us. We're in a culture today where worship is brand new to so many people. We have people walking through our doors, praise God, that this is the first church they've been to. I'm the first pastor that they've met. We're giving them the first Bible they've ever been given. You're the first weird Christians that they know, okay? Because of me, I'm leading the way in weird, okay? Because of me. The win for us is when people show up. We are a discipling community of what? Love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. See, we are building the foundation and the theology is the same, but it's different than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. The church I grew up in had generation upon generation upon generation building and building and building and building. I grew up, I would sit underneath the the pew when I got out of line, mom would just pop me these shirts, these lifesavers. I don't know what the American equivalent of that is, but just to kind of go, I was always in church, I was there, I was around it. I saw my mom and dad worshiping their whole life. I saw aunts and uncles, all these people lifting up. We're in a generation, we're in a culture where it's brand new, where people come in and say, what is this? The win is that people show up. See, I get excited anytime a new person comes in. Whether they agree with me or not, that doesn't matter. They're here. I want to build connection. I want to build a conversation. I want to have tough conversations. Not to get people to agree with me, but I want them to experience God. I want them to see the Lord. And if you disagree with me, you're welcome here. Not in areas of theology, but in other areas. My wife disagrees with me, and we're celebrating 30 years. (laughs) Baby. Right. We need to be together. We need to be welcoming. The more diverse we are, the stronger we are. Now, we need to know our theology. We talked about that. We need to be anchored on the truth and to know that. But we welcome people. That's that's why we're here. 
That's why Jesus was called a what, friend of sinners, and they even accused him of being a drunk. He wasn't drunk, but he was going to people who disagreed with him so that they could experience him and experience the love of Christ and have that resonate inside of them and come alive. That's why we're here. Do you know what I think the older generation should have done back then? They should have went to them. They, their role was that, as, as we talked about in the book of Hebrews, they need to encourage one another and build one another. That as we're worshiping together, whatever's going on, they're saying, we're so glad that you're here. Here's what's happening. Here's what we're doing. Can I follow up with you on this week? Because when someone comes and they experience the love of Christ, that week following is when the enemy is going to be pouring it on to try to distract them, to put weeds in their life, to put doubts in their life. Our job is to show up and encourage you, say, how you doing? Can I take you out for lunch? Can I take you out for a coffee? Do you want to go for a walk? Help me walk my dog. He's out of control, but you want to go for a walk with me? Let's hang out together. To encourage one another. And I'm hearing stories of that already. Reaching out. How's your week going? How can I pray for you? It's okay. Because you're going to face opposition, that's normal, because the enemy is trying to get you when you're young. It's a lot easier to crush a new seed when it comes in than when you stand before a 100-year-old oak tree. That's majestic and strong, where not even the winds and the rains are going to destroy it. See, God, he's promised to meet us. He is here now, and I love the fire, and I love the glory of God's presence, but I'm not going to be put in a box. Because if it's only when I feel the... I was going to say the heebie-jeebies, but that's kind of a negative thing, right? But sometimes it's like, it's only when the hair on my arms is on end, or only when I have these things going that God is there. I'm, I'm telling you, my prayer life, there's times I'm praying and I'm going, God, are you there? I'm going through a hard time right now. There's dark nights of the soul. Has anything changed to God? No. <laughs> but sometimes I'm going through such difficulty that I've got to work through so much. I've got to process through so much. And every relationship is like that. First time I saw Stephanie, bells were ringing. Actually, the first time I saw Stephanie, I was dating somebody else. But then the Lord brought me around, and we got dating, and we came together. And then all the bells were ringing. She's beautiful. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. Is every moment of marriage like that? No. <laughs> it's not. Even your friendships. Your closest friends are those that you've gone through conflict and you've stayed friends. And you've worked things out where you said you were sorry, they said they were sorry, and you work things out, right? That's a, part, that's, a part of, that's a tough part of life. It's why we need each other. It's why we have these groups to come together and to talk about these things and to work them out because that's a normal part of life. We need to come together. Our role in worship is not say, God, perform from us. God, move those feelings in me. And there's so many times that I have those, but you are God no matter what. You are sovereign and you are working even when I don't see it. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Always. That's why he gave us a mind. He just, he just didn't give us an emotion. I love emotions, right? But he gave us a mind. You don't check your brain at the door. That's a great book. Don't check your brain at the door. Think through. God's going to transform your mind. He gave you logic. All wise, all powerful God, we're made in his image. We walk through these things. See, our role in worship is simply surrender. Allow your heart to be transformed. God, I'm not feeling it, but I know you're there. I know you're with me, and you're strengthening me right now. As children, we, we, we go from being handheld to fly little one, right? God's still with us, but he's like, you're flying. This is great. You know, keep going. There's a storm coming up. I'm going to show you how to walk the best storm right now, but stay with me. Right? Stay with me. But there's also external opposition. Ezra 4, it says, the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, they heard the exiles were rebuilding the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. So they approached Zerubbabel and the other leaders and said, let us build with you. 
for we worship your God just as you do. We have sacrificed to him ever since King Esarhaddon of Assyria brought us here. Then Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the other leaders of Israel replied, listen to this, you may have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. Then the local residents, they tried to discourage and and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They even bribed agents. Okay, bribing went way back to work against them and to frustrate their plans. This went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. Now what's happening here, right? So we have this group come up, say, hey, we worship the same God, we're just like you, can we help? Why would you reject help from somebody? Right? I mean, I'll take a free cup of coffee from anybody, right? Hey, well, thank you. Yes, come on in. Grab a, grab a hammer. Let's do it. Wouldn't this be great? We're building bridges to our community. We're making friendships. We're having inroads here, right? This is what we're all about. And yes, we are. We're all about that. But as it relates to what's happening here, the, the price that brought them to a no was too high. There was more going on here than what we see because the price was endorsing how they were worshiping God, and the price was compromising their worship. See, we need to look, who are these people coming to them? Who are these people saying, we worship the same God as you, we're right with you, let us help you? Well, these were the Samaritans. How many remember the Good Samaritan from the New Testament, right? Just talk about the Good Samaritan. He used that parable to show how even their enemies were more helpful at times. But if you want to go back and look back to where all this conflict, because for the Jewish people, they considered the Samaritan people enemies. They were enemies. Enemies of them, they they considered them enemies of God. So who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile. And the race came about after the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel way back in 721 B.C. When certain people from the nation of Israel, they stayed behind And these people intermarried with Assyrians. And it wasn't the fact that they just intermarried. It was the fact that those that they married actually changed them. They changed their worship to where now they took the worship of God and they mixed it with the worship of God from other nations. In other words, they used something that I hear often today is, I worship Jesus in my own way. You ever heard that? (laughs) I don't worship Jesus my way. That's destructive. It's God's way, God's way alone. So yeah, they had the forms, they had the symbols of it and everything that they did, but they also had the influence from other gods of other nations. It's mixed together. They, even, they had their own temple, they had their own religious system, they had their own way of doing things. And see, this was the very thing that Ezra was concerned about. This was the very thing that historically had gotten them off track with God. See, it's important for us to influence our culture. But if we're not strong in the Lord, we can be influenced and mixed together and lose God because it's God's way, his way. He knows more than I do. He's stronger than I am. He's more powerful than I am. He needs to be the one directing my life, not me, not my way. It's God in my life and God alone. That's why they were so concerned. So when this happened, when the Samaritans approached to help rebuild the wall, their radar was going off like crazy. This is a warning. I don't want to rinse and repeat. I don't want to go back to where we were. I want to move forward with the Lord. And this is a delicate balance of life. Because we want to love our neighbor. We're called to love our neighbor. Jesus did this. He went with people that were far from God, that were confused about God, but Jesus never changed. He was connected, but never compromised. 
That's why we need to be very firm in our faith. That's why we need to be engaged with groups where we're talking about it, where our lives are accountable to other people, people we've asked forgiveness, people that we've said, hey, here's something I'm going through, and where they've done the same. So we build this so that when we're in the midst of it, we have the Holy Spirit speaking to us, ringing to us, and the Holy Spirit has surrounded us with a community that can help us in this. We need to live and be a blessing to the city that we are in, but we need to be sure that our worship to God is never compromised. We are welcoming, but we are who we are in Jesus. We are who we are in Jesus. So when we worship, I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to pray, Holy Spirit, fill me today. Walk in me. Are they going to think I'm weird? Yeah, they, are, they, they do for a lot of other reasons. <laughs> What's one more reason? See, we want to be relevant. That's why we're... As I said earlier, we're a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. See, we want to be relevant and genuinely love our neighborhood. But we need to be very careful because sometimes if we're not careful, in an effort to be relevant, relationships can cause us to compromise and readjust what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower. See, sadly, we can become so relevant to others that we end up becoming irrelevant, Language is important. Manners are important. All those things are there, but we can never lose who we are in Christ. Because here's the thing, and I've seen this happen. Sometimes we can work to become so relevant that, you know, we're afraid to show who Jesus is, and we push all those things to the side, and we become so much like the people that we're becoming that they look at us and say, there's, there's no difference in you and me. <laughs> Why would I follow Jesus? I don't need Jesus to live like you. They may never say that, but I have heard people say it. If there's no difference in your life as a Christ follower, why would people follow Jesus? If they don't see the love of Christ in you, if they don't see, I think sometimes that's why there's, we, we go through these difficulties because when we're going through storms, the power of Christ is revealed. I've had people say this. When I was in the coffee house, people would say, how do you walk into work with a, with a good attitude every day? Now, I'm not perfect, Right? What they saw was a good attitude. And I was shocked when they said it. And I, was just, and I just, I blurted it out, Jesus. It's Jesus in me. Like, no, 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 no. They're like, you know, I know Jesus is a crutch. I'm like, no, Jesus is not a crutch. He's a rocket ship. <laughs> I'm not leaning on him. He's carrying me. He's propelling me through all of this. They knew I went through difficulty. They knew I was going through a hard time. They knew I was making the same tips they were making. Our lives need to be different, and it doesn't mean it's always a smiley face and roses. That's not what I'm talking about. It's how we respond to things. It's how when we mess up, sometimes it's how when we mess up that we apologize. I've been in workplaces where nobody apologizes. You start apologizing? Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> it's often in those difficult times that Jesus shines the most in our life because we know I'm looking to him. And I've heard people say at times when they're like, they've had to go to coworkers and say, you know what, how I behave, that's not how Jesus would have me behave. This was wrong, I'm sorry. And it opened the door. Just being vulnerable. That's why Jesus, he warned his disciples not to be put off by the rejection of others because sometimes as it relates to this, we're like, yo, God, I don't want to be rejected by others. I don't want to face this. And Jesus' response was, if the world hates you, <laughs> remember, they hated me first. They hated me first. See, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. 
What is Jesus saying? He's saying, it's not about the approval. It's not about all that stuff, right? It's like raising kids. When kids are so small, how many times do they cry, whether you're a teacher or a parent or an aunt or uncle, right? That, that beginning part of kids, there's a lot of times, I've had almost every kid look up and say, Daddy, I don't like you. <laughs> like, boo hoo 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 What made you think I was out for your approval? Any parent or teacher that's out for the approval of their kids has a bad road in front of them. Why? Because as a parent, as a teacher, you're like, no, this is the way we're going. This is the long game. This is the long game. I'm not going to give you that candy now and spend the rest of our lives at a dentist and, and spend all night up with you crying out of control. No. We follow. We trust. We move forward. We're not put off by rejection. We're not put off by, by even losing friends when it's for the sake of Jesus, not for my own idiocy. We go, no, Lord, I, I trust you. I trust you. They rejected you, they're going to reject me. So that in the middle of it, as people process, because even though you reject me, here's, here's the thing, you reject me, I'm going to love you. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. That's why he used the example of the Samaritans, because he's saying a follower of God, a follower of Jesus, loves their enemies. And we often miss it when we try to make everybody an enemy. We say, you're my enemy, I'm standing back. No, you're my enemy. I want, you need the love of Jesus in your life. I have some people that they've rejected me for 10 years, gave their life to Christ. I have some people that have rejected me my whole life and still haven't. And I'm still praying for them, even though it's tough, even though it's difficult. Because here's what Jesus is saying as the worship team comes. Here's what Jesus is saying to all of us. He's saying, never give up. Never give up. Keep going in all these things. Don't be put off by opposition. Allow me to strengthen you. It's as we face these oppositions that we are strengthened. It's as we face these things, whether people are rejecting us, that we go to someone that we trust. We go to a pastor. We go to our life group leader. We go to people and say, I'm being rejected this week. And then as leaders, we're, we're saying, you're walking in the way of Jesus. Yay. <laughs> Have you ever done that? I had someone come to me one time and say, I'm hitting opposition. I'm like, is it for Jesus? Yes. You're walking with Jesus. You're walking with God. Now I'm going to pray for you that the power of the Holy Spirit will come up on you and will give you discernment and will give you wisdom and empower you to do more than you could ever ask, more than you could ever hope, more than you could ever imagine because they need Jesus. Their only hope, their only power, their only hope they have in all this life is finding Jesus. We need to not be put off by opposition, but we need to lean into it and say, God, help me in this moment. It hurts. Help me in this moment. I need your power. If it's a marriage, if it's a relationship, if it's a work, wherever you find yourself, God, it's opposition, but it's for you. I'm following you. Speak to me, Lord. Empower me, Lord. I know many of your situations. You're going through tough things that breaks my heart. That I cry over you as your pastor. But I'm saying, don't give up. Your only hope is connected to their only hope, which is Jesus. In the middle of it all, God, I will surrender. I'm not going to be put out by persecution. I'm going to live this for you. Amen. As, as we all stand together today, before we respond, I want to, here's a quote that many of you may have heard before, and it was, it is said that Henry Varley once said this to the great D.L. Moody. If you don't know who he is, just look up D.L. Moody, wonderful Chicago pastor evangelist. And here's what Henry Varley said to D.L. Moody. Can we read this together? Let's read this together. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in someone who is fully 
and wholly consecrate it and commit it to him. Think about that. These are both two men of God who have surrendered, given their life, and they said, you know, the world has yet to see what God can do in and through somebody who's committed to him. Do you know what D.L. Moody prayed after that? He said, God, let it be me. I don't know if he cried. I'm a crier. I don't know if D.L. Moody was a crier. But for me, it's like, God, every time I hear this, I'm, I, I pray, God, let that be me. Let that be me. Is that your prayer? Just lift your hands to the Lord and just pray that prayer. Lord, let that be me. Lord, our schools have yet to see what God will do in and through someone who's fully committed to you. Our government has yet to see what God will do in and through someone who's totally committed to you. My family, my community, my neighborhood, the stores that I go to, the coffee houses I hang out in, have yet to see what God will do in and through someone who's fully committed to you. Lord, let that be me. Let that be us. Let that be us, oh God, as we worship you. We're going to head into a time of responding here. The Seahawks are not in the Super Bowl, so you've got lots of time. God's doing something more important right now. But as we respond, and there's lots of ways to respond, we have, we have people here that want to pray with you. Don't be afraid to pray with them. We need to pray. We're changed when, we're, when we pray together. They've been praying for this moment right now. If it's to give your life to Christ, if it's to pray for an attack that you're under, whatever it is, they want to pray with you. So you may want to respond in that way. We have two communion tables. It's the, it's the kind where you just take and you just bring it back, and then you just go ahead and take it. I'm not going to lead you in it. You can just take that packet. You can go to your chair and just walk through it, open it up, take the bread, then open it up, and you can drink the juice as a sign of surrender to the Lord, remembering what he's done for you, that he's poured into you, that he can do all things through you. He's given you strength. That's what the communion is a reminder of. He's forgiven you. He's empowered you. Or you, you may want to go to the prayer walls, or you may want to turn the person next to you and say, will you pray for me? Here's the questions I want you to consider today in all of these responses. Is there any area in my life right now where I'm being attacked? Is there any area in my life that I'm being attacked? Name it. Don't be afraid to name it. Speak to that. You've been given authority as a Christ follower in the name of Jesus. Speak to that attack right now and ask the Lord to speak to you, to give you strength. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to empower you to walk through it. And then that second question, where am I being tempted to compromise, to give up? It's the attack makes us want to go, I can't do this anymore. This is not real. I'm not feeling it. God's saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. Where are you being tempted? Temptation is not a sin. Jesus went through all the temptations with, with, the, with the enemy in the desert. We bring it to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm being tempted. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Where am I being tempted to compromise? And then are you ready to go all in? Every day, Lord, I want to go all in with you. And then before you leave here today, make sure you have that next step. Pray with someone. Communion, writing on the wall. Turn into your neighbor saying, I need to know the next step or I need confidence through Jesus to take that next step. Amen? Let's take some time.
Let's take some time to do that. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. We want to go all in with you. Lord, if it's the attack, give us strength in this moment. Give us wisdom even now in this moment as we pray with one another. We need you and we seek you, O Lord. Speak. Your servants are listening. Every hour, every moment, every situation, when we face opposition, God, may we become more aware of your presence with us. You told us when we walk through the water, when we go through the fire, that you will be with us. That it, even in the, the valley of the shadow of death, you said you're our shepherd. You're going to lead us through this. So, Lord, I pray right now for all, everyone in this place that's going through opposition. If you're going through opposition, would you just raise your hand? You're like, I'm going, hold, hold it up. I'm going through opposition. Everyone else, look around. Look, look at those around you. Can you reach your hand towards them and pray for them? Pray for them. Lord, I pray from friends, your Christ followers, Lord, men and women of God. Lord, that as they face opposition with you, Lord, may they recognize that you are with them. You are for them. You are working in their behalf. So, Lord, may we not be tempted to give up. But, Lord, I pray that we would, even in this situation, in opposition, that we would surrender to you, knowing that you're the one who fights our battles. You're the one who gives us wisdom. You're the one who gives us all strength. So, Lord, if it's a relationship, Lord, I pray for empowerment and strength. That in each of these faces of opposition, Jesus, shine through us, reflect through us. Lord, I pray that any hindrance, any weight, anything that, that's getting in the way, God, let it be revealed to these people and let it be stripped away as we give it to you. Lord, reveal to us areas where we've missed the mark, and God, we confess to you. Just, as the Holy Spirit reveals it, just confess it to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to walk strong with you. I don't want to give any attention to anything but you. I lift my eyes to you. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So in all these situations, Lord, we speak to it. We speak for victory in Jesus' name. In relationships, in the workplace, in our homes, in our own lives. We surrender to you, and Lord, I pray for an infilling of the Holy Spirit to empower, to fill, to guide, to direct, to reassure, to give confidence. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It gives us confidence that Jesus is with us. It speaks to the presence of Jesus. It gives us wisdom. I pray you give them discernment in every situation to know when to press and to know when to just be present. To know that you're working and your timing is perfect. Sometimes we got to march around the wall. We want to go, we want to hit the wall, we want to knock it down, but there are times when you say, just keep marching around the wall. I'm showing you, I'm preparing. I'm getting ready. And when the time is right, those walls are going to come down. But keep trusting me. You know, sometimes we feel like we're just circling when, when the Lord is saying, no, I'm, I'm training you, I'm I'm speaking into your life. I'm preparing you. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. So we follow you. We follow you in Jesus' name. The name above every name. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not faint. So we wait on you. We hold on to that hope. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. Don't give up. Don't give up. If you give up, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> You're not going to breakthrough. You're not going to experience what God has for you. And if you need encouragement, look around. Find somebody. Call somebody. Get in a group with somebody. How many love having breakfast?
Okay, these are all people to meet with. Have breakfast with them. How many love having coffee, having tea? How many, you just love being with people. We don't get with people because we think they have all the answers. We just need encouragement going, I'm with you in this. this is gonna be, the Lord's going to speak to us. He's going to show us. He's going to walk with us. When you're weak, you need somebody just to encourage you and say, it's going to be all right. I'm not going to make up answers. I'm not going to, I'm just going to, I'm here. Trust the Lord. Walk in the Lord. Let's read the Bible together. Let's do some things together. Amen? Here's our benediction. Let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.